Hello and welcome to Lawrence Fork in Kansas, the podcast about the people and the stories behind the local food you love. I'm Jake. And I'm Kristen, and today we're interviewing owner and chef Sam Donnell of The Waffle Iron. Today we are talking with owner and chef Sam Donnell of The Waffle Iron. Sam, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So for those of you who don't know, The Waffle Iron is a pop-up uh, waffle shop that you know, typically appear in collaboration with other other local mm-hmm. restaurants in Lawrence and Casey area. You keep it interesting. Every every time we go, there's some new waffle you got or things I wouldn't normally associate with. I remember there was one that had, a, you had like carrots in it, you know, and it was more of a sweet dish, but... But yeah, so we, we just we're, we just love what you're doing with with the waffle iron. Well, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I realize that uh, what I'm doing can get boring pretty quick, as with all food, and uh, I personally get bored eating the same things over and over again. So I try and think outside the box a little bit, um, reach for inspiration from people that are doing cool things, and see if I can reverse engineer that to um, be a waffle. So are you from Lawrence? Yeah, I've been in Lawrence since I was eight years old. I went to Lawrence High School and I moved away for a couple of years. I went to go work on a farm in Santa Barbara, California. And I was there for about a year and a half. And then I moved to Hawaii uh, with some friends that I met in Santa Barbara and worked on a farm out there for about a year. Wow. So what brought you back to Lawrence? Well, I got dumped. Um, yeah, it, it was supposed to be a short trip home, and uh, then a breakup happened, and man, I stayed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I stayed because I have family here. My mom, dad, brother, sister, sister-in-law, um, older brother had a kid, and he's great, and I like couldn't imagine being very far away from him, so right. I'm still nice. around. So how did, uh, you know, so you worked at farms and all that, when coming back to Lawrence, was that your first time working in like the food service industry, or? Yeah, coming back to Lawrence, it was my first time working in the food service industry. I got a job at Global Cafe, mm-hmm. uh, started out as a server there, and kind of had always really been interested in cooking, and been cooking a lot, and they were doing prep one day and they were chopping onions. I was like, Hey, let me come back there and chop some onions. I'll see what I can do. Like, okay, well you can chop onions. Let's see what else you can do. And it kind of slowly evolved into a half in the kitchen, half serving, kind of getting to know the whole restaurant front and back. Um, and I loved it there. You know, it's a small, tight operation. Um, which I kind of admire because I feel like a lot of places, get too big, have too much overhead, and then uh, can't stay afloat during the inevitable slower mm-hmm. periods. Well, how to, how'd you get involved in the farms and all that? Um, I lived on a small 36-acre organic fruit and vegetable farm, mm-hmm. and I was kind of drawn to that for philosophical reasons. I had been studying political science and economics at mm-hmm. KU and kind of came to the realization that a lot of the issues that I was studying in that realm could be related back to the food system. And uh, control of food is really huge in economics. And, you know, the way that food is produced and the lack of involvement in the food system touches on health and politics. And it's a really, really personal subject for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I felt like I wanted to learn more about that. I was really interested in gardening and I wanted to learn more about plants and I just wanted to get more in touch with the whole process. So what inspired you to go from, you know, farming to Global Cafe and then was it right from Global Cafe to Waffle Iron or was there anything between? It was pretty much right from Global Cafe to Waffle Iron and I was kind of working on that idea before I started at Global Cafe and tested a few things at Global Cafe. Um, but the waffle idea was kind of born uh, just of a fluke, being on the farm in Hawaii. Um, at the time, I was really, really into making Penang curry. Um, okay. Because I like to cook and recreate dishes, and when I try and recreate something and I fail, I it gets under my skin. And I want to figure out how to make it right. And so yep. for a couple of years, Penang curry was just my obsession. How do I learn how to do this? Um, I took a little one day cooking class from someone in Lawrence and that kind of got my feet wet. Um, she taught how to make a couple of Thai dishes and I learned some tricks there and then just made it and made it and made it. And Eventually, I felt like it got pretty good, and I made the curry a lot because it got requested a lot, and the people I was living with had traveled pretty extensively throughout Southeast Asia, and they said, Sam, your curry is the bomb. It's like, <laughs> it's as good as any curry we had in Thailand, and one of the best things that we had in Thailand was curry and waffles. Yeah. Some little street vendor just made curry, made waffles, served it together, and they said, please just recreate this dish for us. Um, So I had a waffle iron out there um, that wasn't even mine. It was just kind of farm property. And I got on the internet and looked up a waffle recipe and was kind of disappointed. I was like, this is sort of dense. This is sort of lackluster. This is not that great. And so I tried again and it was like soggy and I was like, okay, I'm going to try whipping the egg whites. And I went through the whole, Mm -hmm. the whole process Mm -hmm. and I just felt like I couldn't make a waffle that was as good as the description of a waffle. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it became the new food obsession and I spent, um, you know, the time I was at global cafe, a little while after that, uh, what amounted to about three years um, before I ever actually sold a waffle was tinkering and deconstructing different recipes and um, kind of looking at some gluten-free recipes and taking some aspects of that and reincorporating it with a traditional sort of waffle recipe and tweaking the um, mixing process and coming up with my own custom dry mix. And eventually I had a waffle that was like man, I felt like it was good. And I had same two friends of mine were pretty much there for the whole testing process. Mm -hmm. And eventually they're like, damn dude, this is a pretty good waffle. (laughs) Um, but you have been doing this for too long. Like you you need to figure out how to make, make some money with this or like see a therapist because, (laughs) because you are kind of obsessed with waffles. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of what led me to, uh, reaching out to Decade mm-hmm. and kind of was just in there, sort of hanging out, checking out the space. And uh, Jesse Gray, who's a really talented chef in town, was kind of doing a small pop up there. And he was looking to take a little bit of time off. 
and I had this recipe in my back pocket and I was just kind of sitting at the counter when they were having this conversation and I was like, yeah, well, I've got this waffle recipe. They're pretty good. I could come in and just make a couple and we'll see how it goes. And the owner was like, yeah, let's, let's try it out. Let's see. I mean, not expecting much. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it sort of blew up. Yeah. Yeah. We were there that first weekend and the line was like throughout the entire space and decade it was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it definitely exceeded expectations. Um, I kind of, um, uh, cheated a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I reached out to every food blogger, local newspaper writer, Kansas city people, everybody I could. And I was like, Hey, um, there is a fancy waffle pop-up shop that's opening in East Lawrence <laughs> and, uh, it's going to be really cool. We got this whole story, this dude is from Hawaii back to Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. And they were all kind of like, okay, this is weird, but you've given us a story and we don't have to yeah. go out and hunt one down. So we'll write about this. <laughs> I mean, that's and, how we found out about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, so. um, and then I was able to post those articles and be like, Hey, the newspaper's writing about this. Look that's how cool I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it really worked well. Um, and then it helped that I think people came in and like, all right, well, this isn't all hype. These are pretty good. Yeah. And, um, and wow, when I look back at the waffles that I was serving on that first day, I'm in, uh, kind of embarrassed because <laughs> they were really simple and, uh, you know, they maybe had one or two toppings. I had not gotten into plating or the depth of flavor that I feel like I'm kind of working with now four years later and um i'm glad that people have stuck with it this whole time well it's a cool concept and it's also been fun you know as people who have eaten the waffles to sort of see how things sort of incrementally get um you know more interesting and all that yeah yeah fun well now now you now you can actually aren't do some r&d with it and again go a little Go a little more crazy, I guess. Instead, of in the beginning, you probably you were yeah. just harping, you know, trying to you get the waffle. The right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I knew I had a waffle, but um, it was such a steep learning curve to figure out. Okay, I want to make this fruit sauce, and I bring out a fruit sauce, and it was kind of too thin and watery, and it would soak into the waffle right away. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, okay, I gotta thicken this shit up. <laughs> um, so it got me into this whole kind of world of modernist hydrocolloids to you know, thicken things different ways. Um, so I started experimenting with, um, agar and xanthan gum and, um, you know, all kinds of different stuff that really, really helped me, um, take things where I wanted to go. And also, um, in the beginning I was poaching eggs to order. And then I figured out this cool system to wrap all the eggs in saran wrap and tie them off. And, that made it a lot easier, but that just took forever. And so I was like, how do I make this better? Um, and I'd heard about sous vide cooking mm. and uh, bought myself one of those and realized that I could uh, cook all my eggs in one big batch and crack them out of the shell and they'd be perfect. And, mm. um, you know, I was making custards and lemon curds uh, over an induction burner and stirring for 30 minutes. And I realized that I could put all that stuff into a vacuum sealed bag and cook it 179 degrees for 30 minutes and it would come out just perfect custard. Mm -hmm. Um, and this was all stuff that I didn't know in the beginning, but 
kind of learned trial by fire mm-hmm. and have uh, figured out how to do a lot more with, uh, you know, the same amount of effort. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been, I've been impressed by that. You know, when we first went, I remember, you know, lines were a little long and it took a while to make every waffle, but now it's like you have, you know, much more complex yeah. waffles, but line moves fast because you got, you got this preps, st- you know, everything. Yeah. Mise en place, you got all that done. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I mean, this is all stuff that I just didn't know. You know, I'm, I was coming from a pretty simple eggs and omelets mm-hmm. breakfast restaurant. Um, and I wasn't very fast at it. And, mm-hmm. you know, now sometimes when it's really busy, people will just stop and take videos because I'm just like moving so fast. <laughs> and that was not the case in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that I would have uh, had the motivation to learn as much as I've learned had I not just absolutely had to. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you started at Decade and then, um, you know, then you actually got you got your, your own space um, above um, a John Brown okay. Underground. Um, so what was that like, you know, going from pop up and then now you had your whole, now your whole space to, to fill it out? Wow. Yeah. Um, so it went from starting at Decade to opening up at John Brown within three, maybe four months. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a steep learning curve. And I had a lot of help along the way. Um, Kate Frick, who owns the Myers Hotel Bar, um, really helped me, you know, figure some things out, figure out staffing, figure out um, how it could work in a space like that. But it took a, a lot of it took a lot of thought because I had to figure out you know, how it was going to flow in this space and how the staffing was going to work. And did I want this to be a sit down restaurant where people put orders in? from the table or some kind of hybrid situation. And um, I took a lot of inspiration from the way that the burger stand works. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that they're a really successful restaurant and every order is done at the counter. Mm -hmm. Um, And people get their order put in, they go sit down, they wait for their name to be called. Um, And I modified that a little bit. I had servers running food and running checks and um, you know, that was, that was a lot. Um, there is so much truth in something that I hear over and over and over again, which is don't open a restaurant, (laughs) (laughs) uh, because it took me away from, um, being able to do what I really like to do. And it put me a lot more in, charge of making sure the bloody Mary bar was stocked Mm -hmm. and the nightmare of when you only have four or five people working for you and somebody just doesn't show up to work, um, Mm -hmm. it really, really caused a lot of stress. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's only been in the last year that I've stopped having nightmares about dishwashers, not showing up to work. Um, and you know, that was a big learning experience in terms of, um, negotiating a deal for working out of a space like that, that, um, I wasn't signing a long-term lease on and that, you know, ended up kind of biting me in the butt. Um, but it also gave me an opportunity for about eight months to really reach a lot of people. And, um, I found that the pop-up thing is great, but that really only reaches the people that are already looking at my Instagram, already Mm -hmm. looking at the Facebook, um, or, you know, engaged with the social media of wherever I'm popping up, but being in one location, uh, and being able to talk to the press, put it out that way, uh, really reaches a much broader audience. And so I 
had a lot of really busy, really good months at John Brown. Um, but when it was up, I was ready to take a breather, yeah, take, <laughs> take a little bit of a breather. Yeah. yeah. Um, and my first pop-up after I left John Brown was at, uh, the Port Fonda in Lawrence when it was here. Mm-hmm. And that that first day back remains the busiest day that I have ever had. It's kind of interesting in Lawrence every year, a big segment of your market, if you kind of appeal to a younger crowd, which I think the waffles are pretty broad in their appeal, but, um, man, people that want to come in and Instagram their food is, it's a younger crowd. (laughs) Uh, and every year a bunch of those people move away. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to be really on top of constantly reaching out to the incoming class Mm -hmm. and, um, that's been kind of difficult. Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully you've done some pop-ups at PT's Mm -hmm. um, coffee on campus. Hopefully that, you know, kind of helps reach people there. Yeah, it does. Visible on campus as opposed to only downtown. Yeah. Now the, uh, the pop-ups at PT's, I actually just finished one this last Mm -hmm. weekend. Um, they're great. It's one of my favorite spaces to work out of. Um, part of what's been so nice about doing the pop-up thing has been, getting to test out so many different locations and formats for, you know, maybe someday if I do want to ignore literally everyone's advice (laughs) and open up a location of my own, um, I've been able to feel out, okay, I really like this. This is a good flow. Um, I don't like this. This wouldn't really work so well for me. And, um, that PT's, the setup they have is one of my favorites. I can, um, really rock that setup. uh, alone. And, you know, I like to bring, um, help. I have, uh, one young man who's been working with me, um, since he was maybe a little bit too young to be working. Uh, we'll say 16. Uh, and he's still working for me today. And, uh, when he comes, we can really crush it and get some food out fast. But if it's a good setup and I have everything within arm's reach, which is kind of how PTs works, um, I can go really fast and, um, so that when kids are coming in and they maybe are just coming in for coffee, just, you know, living in the apartment building upstairs and they see what's going on and they see these plates coming out. Um, usually they're like, okay, well I'll try this. I mean, yeah. Who wouldn't want to? Yeah. Yeah. Then they can Instagram it. (laughs) And I assume kind of the cool part too about popping up is, you know, you you do when you, when you go to these different restaurants, you, you kind of can tailor your, your you, you go to towards what maybe their food, you know, what they serve. You know, I know at Lucia's you've done the, uh, you know, the chicken wings or, you know, something like that. So I, I, like you said, it's a nice, nice way to kind of experiment with different things and it gives you a kind of forces you maybe to, to experiment with different things. Or, oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. I think that that's where some of my um, more interesting combinations have come from um, trying to work within some constraints. Mm-hmm. Um I've done a lot of, you know, more tropical type flavors when I've been in Port Fonda. Um, a lot of times coffee restaurants or coffee shops will have, um, you know, some cool flavors that they're working on or some, you know, flavored latte that they're featuring for the season. And I really like to be able to uh, work on something that will pair with that. Like PT's last weekend had a uh, lavender matcha iced latte that they were pushing Mm. and i made this honey lavender blackberry tarragon lemon curd 
waffle that um, just fit right in. Hmm. And it kind of helps because uh, it makes it feel a little bit more cohesive. And uh, yeah, doing stuff at Lucia where they're already really trying to push those chicken wings and we can do something like that. Um, the fried chicken and waffle collaborations that I get to do are some oh, of my yeah. favorite. Um, I was at Brookside Poultry Company last month, and I think that they do some of the best fried chicken in Kansas City. And um, I ate there one day, and it just jumped to the top of my dream collaboration list. Mm -hmm. And I had to reach out to the owner a few times, and eventually he was like, okay, Waffle Guy, um, <laughs> let's let's try this. We'll see. Uh, I don't have anything to lose. Um, promoted the hell out of it, and it was really busy, mm -hmm. and... They killed it on the fried chicken. I obviously killed it on the waffle. <laughs> and uh, we had some simple hot sauce, some charred veggies, and it was just a really, really awesome plate of food. Um, and I did that with Hank Charcuterie when they were here. I've done that with Hogshead in Kansas City. Um, one of my first was at the, uh, the Basil Leaf doing chicken and waffles there. And they've all been so different, and it's just an awesome opportunity to uh, show a variation on what is usually a simple dish that really exemplifies the personality of whatever restaurant I'm at. Because it gives the chef at the restaurant an opportunity to do something that they maybe wouldn't run on a menu every day, but they've been wanting to try out. Um, and it's cool. Yeah. Is that hard to, you know, reach out to, you know, to reach out to a restaurant and, you know, get, get into, you know, I, I assume restaurants are harder uh, harder to reach out to than a place maybe that doesn't do food service already or is there a difference there it has gotten so much easier yeah, sure. um as i've been doing this and it you know the waffle iron name has been out a little bit and mm -hmm. people sort of know and this isn't always the case because i still have slow days but um generally if it's a well advertised cool event um people show up and that is the most important thing to a restaurant owner. Mm -hmm. And if they know that doing something like this with me is going to bring in more people or just bring in a different crowd of people than who they normally bring in, um, they're all about it. Yeah. Uh, it used to be a lot more, hi, I'm Sam, I make waffles, <laughs> and I know that sounds weird, and you have no reason to let me come into your <laughs> restaurant. But nowadays, I think it's... Um, probably more than half of the events that I do, people have reached out to me and they say, Hey, I've got this thing coming up or we're trying to promote some, you know, we're going to be open longer hours or we're going to be open a new day or we have this new dish or we're just a brand new restaurant. Yeah, we've tried a bunch of places just because we're like, Oh, he, yeah, Sam's there. All right, let's go. Let's Must try this. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. yeah. And then, yeah, then we discover something else they do and we're like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll go there now. Yeah. No, it usually works, works out really well. People will come in, for whatever waffle pop up, but then they'll end up getting stuff off the other menu. And um, it's pretty rare that um, somebody doesn't feel like it was mutually beneficial, which is the best way to do it. Because if I'm going in somewhere and it's only good for me, I don't get asked to come back. And right. if it's only good for them, I don't want to come back. But right. usually we find a way to make it work for everybody. Hmm. So where do you come up with um, some of the ideas for your toppings that are, you know, maybe not necessarily related to like what we've been talking about um, with certain restaurants, but things like bee pollen or like fruity pebbles? Like what are, what are some sources you're looking at to get ideas? Wow. I, 
I've got a lot. Um, bee pollen came from a desire to use sprinkles that weren't sprinkles. Mm. <laughs> I kind of somewhat resent uh, garnishes that are just for garnish sake. Mm. Um, like, I, I mean, I love garnish. I think they make a dish, but it has to kind of add something. Um, and, you know, bee pollen gives a really stunning look to a dish, but it's also really great for you. And it's got a nice kind of nutty, mm -hmm. smooth flavor. Um, the fruity pebbles, man, I grew up in the nineties and I just have this really <laughs> deep nostalgic connection with that flavor. Um, and I think that it's pretty widely known that nostalgia is really effective in food. Mm -hmm. And if you can evoke a memory for someone when they're eating something, um, but it is in maybe a slightly more elevated way, they connect to it on a lot of levels. And um, I think that people really, really love that. Um, and I, I look for inspiration all over the place, you know. Um, Grant Ackett's The Alinea Chef is, you know, world famous for a reason. And he's done a lot of work uh, with flavor pairings and taking flavors down to their you know, molecular constituent parts and then finding things that share the same chemical composition mm -hmm. and coming up with new flavor pairings based on that, um, which I have found to be really interesting. Um, did one uh, with a jasmine whipped cream and a pork terrine. Mm -hmm. um, the carrot and coriander one kind of came from that same... Mm -hmm. Uh, vision uh, and then just messing around once I had this coriander infused whipped cream and raspberry sauce and I tasted the two together and it sort of tasted like fruity pebbles um, I thought that that one would just be awesome to do with fruity pebbles because mm -hmm. I really like to find ways to uh, take something that's not fancy and figure out a way to duplicate those flavors mm -hmm. in a fancier way or have both of those flavors together and you can kind of compare and contrast. And I assume, you know, you, you know, do you take the stuff when you worked at these fruit farms and all that? I know oftentimes you usually at least have a waffle that's, you know, very fruit forward. So does it, has your time there when you're at the fruit farms does that inspire a lot of, you know, any of your dishes or, you know, I don't, I don't know if the time on the farm is as much of an inspiration for that as just, I love those flavors and I mm -hmm. sought out being next to those flavors and I still kind of seek out yep. those flavors. Um, I think that having, um, you know, a little bit of balance, something that's as sweet as a waffle, uh, really needs a little bit of the acidity from the fruit. Um, I will almost always, you know, add a little bit of citric acid into my fruit sauces to brighten them up to make it so they're not quite so overpoweringly sweet. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, my time on the farm kind of showed me, uh, that restaurant accounts were the most solid people for the farmers because, you know, you can't really count on how much money you're going to make at a farmer's market and running a CSA and keeping people signed up for that is kind of difficult because you're requiring people to, pay in advance for something that they're then going to have to cook and they don't know what they're going to get. And it takes a pretty committed person to do that. I was just last 
week out at um, Pinwheel Farms, which is in North Lawrence. Um, a woman named Natalia runs that place, and she does it pretty much by herself. And she's got a herd of sheep, and she's got some greenhouses. And uh, for better or for worse, um, it's hard to keep up with. Mm. Um, and so for that reason, she will have stuff that, um, you know, maybe somebody who is really, really on top of their crop rotations will have cut, picked, uh, turned under and replanted. She will kind of let stuff go. And so I'm able to go out there and get arugula flowers and radish flowers and flowers of things that I didn't even know flowered that she has. And she will pick all of gingerly and, um, sell me a ton of them. So I got, um, Violets from her last weekend, and rosebuds, and garlic chives, and later, kind of early summer, I'm going to be getting rose petals, and garlic flowers, and the arugula flowers, the radish flowers, and all this stuff that um, is beautiful on the plate, but it also um, is supporting someone local that I really like, and, um, and in a lot of those cases, pack a really interesting flavor Mm. that most people aren't able to get right so talking about um you know speaking of making your plates beautiful talk a little bit about your plating that's one of the things that really stands out and you know like we were saying before makes it great for the instagram set um talk a little bit about how you um decided to plate different things and what kind of goes into deciding how to plate different waffles because it's even different from you know waffle to waffle yeah i um selfishly pretty quickly realized that um if i did something just a little bit extra with the sauce on a plate people would take a picture of it yeah and if people take a picture of it post it on their instagram um that was just the absolute best advertising Mm -hmm. uh better than any advertising i could do it reached all of their friends um and so that kind of a little bit pushed me to just go for that. And, um, I come from a family that is very artistically inclined. And I, when I started going to KU was going to school for graphic design and I love to draw and I love, you know, making all kinds of things. And so, um, I sometimes, consider myself a little bit more of an artist whose medium is food than uh, a chef who makes pretty food. Mm -hmm. Because I think chefs really um, have come up in kitchens and I didn't really come up in kitchens. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's great because I believe that that has allowed me to explore ways of doing things that are not the conventional way of doing things Mm -hmm. um, and figuring out that there are ways to you know make eggs benedict that don't require a full kitchen um that i just think that a lot of people when they come up in kitchens don't really think about that stuff and um a lot of times they don't get the time or the opportunity to just do whatever they want um i am under no kind of constraint to make every dish look exactly the same how the chef made it every time. Uh, so I can have a topping and plate it a different way every time until I find something that I like and I really like to experiment. And so, you know, people 
can come in and order the same thing and it'll all maybe look a little bit different uh, until I settle on something that I think looks really good. Um, And whether or not that's, you know, drawing on the plate with a squeeze bottle, you know, I love to just make a really simple, you know, Fibonacci spiral with Mm -hmm. a raspberry sauce. Um, Something that I have really been enjoying lately is um, putting lemon curd on the waffle first, and then it melts a little bit and it kind of drips down the side and then drizzling a sauce on top of that. And it'll just kind of do this crazy drippy psychedelic kind of thing that just looks awesome and that just kind of happened on accident and um, you know I take a ton of inspiration from Instagram Mm -hmm. you know there are uh, really really talented pastry chefs who are making beautiful food all over the world and um, what some people can do with a piping bag and a few dots and just carefully placed things um really stands out and i i think that people when you have concentrated on the plating a little bit Mm -hmm. um i think that that translates into everything else that you've done with the food like you're not going to not care about everything and then care a lot about the plating Mm -hmm. at least i hope yeah so if you you know, show that you are really consciously putting everything on the plate. I, my hope is that that translates into people recognizing that everything that went into this was pretty thoughtfully put together and thoughtfully prepared. So what's your, what's your favorite dish then that you make? What's it, what's been the favorite combination that you've, if you had to pick one? Wow. <laughs> my favorite combination. Um, I think, the one that I go to the most is the uh, smoked salmon lox right. waffle. Mm-hmm. Um, because between you and me, uh, a lot of sugar in the morning when I've worked a lot and just need some food, it hits me hard. Mm-hmm. Some people are down, you know, they eat pancakes and syrup and they're yeah. about it. Um, and I have a serious sweet tooth, but sometimes I want something that is savory and not so sweet and this is one that um you know it's got smoked salmon kind of an everything bagel sprinkle uh pickled onions capers dill a whipped buttermilk cream cheese black pepper garlic Hmm. um cream that i put into a whipped cream charger um greens sometimes some lemon curd sometimes not um and you know, I love that on a bagel and, uh, you know, a lot of times I will take my inspiration from just a dish that goes on a starch and how can I deconstruct that and turn it into a waffle. Um, and that one is one of my favorite to eat. And it's also the one that people are always going to turn their nose up at when I tell them that's my favorite waffle and then they try it and they're like, wow, this all just works together so well. I would have never thought about putting garlic whipped cream and fish and capers on a waffle, but it just works so well. And, um, you know, with all the greens and everything on it, it looks, you know, it's like half salad, half waffle. (laughs) Um, this last weekend I couldn't stop eating, um, 
just peanut butter whipped cream and raspberry sauce. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> sounds good. I have, uh, so when I was on the farm in Santa Barbara every single morning for a year and a half, I ate a peanut butter and jelly sandwich for breakfast. Um, and I just love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> and I've tried to put a peanut butter and jelly waffle on the menu before and it just didn't sell. Hmm. So this weekend I snuck one in. <laughs> um, so it had peanut butter whipped cream, raspberry sauce, um, some strawberry jam, some strawberries, this uh, dark chocolate candied bacon granola, mm. uh, you know, a swipe of peanut butter on the plate. And it didn't sound like peanut butter and jelly when you ordered it, <laughs> but when you ate it, it was like, it was. wow, this just is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. <laughs> well, it's an appearance, right? It yeah. makes a difference how you yeah. plate it and all yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, you know, that's the difference between uh, high-end food and not a lot of times. I mean, quality of ingredients is there, but you go to a really high-end, expensive restaurant, you are getting what amounts to uh, a pretty small plate, but it is artfully arranged, and there's just been so much thought that's put into it that people will pay a lot more for that, and... um, I would not be able to charge, you know, $10 for a waffle if it was just a waffle with mm-hmm. all of the stuff squirted on it. And, um, mm-hmm. and not that that is an exorbitant price, but I think that people are, you know, if they're coming from IHOP, they <laughs> have an idea of what they're going to get when they get something that's so much more than that. Like, oh yeah, well this is definitely worth three or $4 more than yeah. Yeah. the alternative. So we had a couple of questions from our audience. Um, so, All right. <laughs> so one was, uh, what what kind of waffle iron do you use, or what would you recommend? Like, what's a good non-commercial waffle iron? Yeah, so I use a what is now a used to be made by Waring Pro. It's now a Cuisinart double waffle maker. Okay. Um, it's the waffle maker I've used since the beginning. It's the waffle maker that they had on the farm in Hawaii. Um, it is just just works it just <laughs> works um it makes the right size it's you know 80 dollars with the coupon they send out every month and i've looked into the more expensive ones but it would require that everywhere that i popped up had a 220 outlet mm-hmm. and they can only cook one or two at a time mm-hmm. um and this way i can cook two at a time have three plugged in so i can be cranking out six waffles at a time um And if one breaks, I just go to the store and buy another one or in an emergency situation, send someone to the store to buy another (laughs) one, Uh, which is huge because, you know, equipment breaking down in a restaurant can shut it down. Um, And being able to rely on something that's pretty available and pretty ubiquitous um, helps a lot. And I think it's also um, something that people think uh like well you know i have that same waffle iron but my waffles don't taste like yours (laughs) (laughs) but you know i have the same waffle iron that anybody can go out and buy and um i think that people see that and realize that there's more going on there than just a fancy piece of equipment that they don't have access to um kind of hopefully makes what I do stand out a little bit. Another question that we had was, um, what are your thoughts on yeasted versus quick rise waffles? So 
I love uh, a good yeast leavened waffle. Um, I used to offer a buttermilk waffle, which is my tr- secret recipe that I worked on forever, mm-hmm. a uh, yeast leavened waffle, and then a gluten free waffle. Um, I stopped doing the gluten free waffle because there were just too many crumbs everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I still bring it back sometimes, but I try and be very clear that this is not a celiac friendly gluten-free waffle um because what i was doing in the past was devoting a whole waffle iron just to the gluten-free waffle um and when four people come in maybe and get one it just wasn't worth it and the yeast leavened waffle was amazing um and i you know might bring it back just because of this question Uh, nobody (laughs) nobody ever asks about the old leavened waffle anymore um but it's the kind of thing that takes a lot more time yeah. to produce. Um, I have to, you know, start it the day before and have somewhere that it can uh, do its thing. And um, it does kind of uh, slow down the system a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, when it's just one kind of waffle, you, we're busy, you just load them all up. It's just one kind of waffle coming out and you just crank it. Um, But if somebody orders a yeasted waffle, which cooked a lot faster and therefore burned a lot faster, um, you cook one of those and you're waiting on a ticket and it burns. And then you've got to wait two minutes for that waffle to come out when all these other ones are just, Mm. it can, uh, it can gunk things up when we're trying to do 30, 45 second ticket times. So another question, speaking of different waffles, uh, they um, also asked about like a non-traditional waffle. Have you had much experience with non-traditional waffle batters like potato, um, you know, like potato waffles? I guess the, their question was specifically tips on how to hold it together if you've worked with them. It's yeah. Like- um, my best tip for that is buy a bag of frozen tater tots. Frozen. Okay. Frozen tater tots. Let them thaw out a little bit arrange them on the waffle iron, close it. It will make the best potato waffle. It's so good. I haven't messed with just the loose frozen, uh, but when I have tried to um, shred and squeeze the water out of and cook my own Mm -hmm. potato waffle, it didn't stick together. It wasn't as good. Uh, But the tater tots, and this is not something that I came up with, this is just one of those internet things that somebody sent me, most of which I ignore. Um, <laughs> but that one is really, really good. Uh, one thing that I have been doing more uh, on a like sort of secret menu level is omelets cooked in the waffle iron. So mm-hmm. I will, you know, I always have poached eggs. I will crack a couple into a cup, add a little bit of butter, mix it up, and pour it into the waffle iron and if I stick a chopstick, which a chopstick is the best tool for removing a waffle from a waffle iron because oh. it doesn't scratch the surface. Yeah. You can stick it right in the side. It'll come right out. Um, chopsticks are also great to have around um, for plating sometimes. Yeah. A lot of people will use tweezers, but chopsticks will do the same thing. And uh, yeah, but so you stick a chopstick in the waffle iron just so the lid won't close. After you've poured the eggs in, it will cook on the bottom, just sort of set on the top. Um, You can put your ingredients in it, fold one half over. 
use the chopsticks to take it out and it is it comes out pretty much omelet shaped but also waffled and <laughs> man it is on brand <laughs> that's awesome so what uh what's your favorite place to eat in lawrence i'm gonna have to say first leeway franks hmm. um Yep. Lee is one of the most knowledgeable chefs that I know, and he puts so much work into everything he does and presents it in such an accessible way. He doesn't try and foof it up like I do. He like really serves uh, what is totally gourmet stuff in a paper boat and he doesn't charge a ton for it and he does it in an unassuming restaurant and um he's really humble but he's so knowledgeable mm-hmm. and uh whenever i get a chance to talk to him about a different cut of meat because he just opened up the butcher shop yeah. um you know he sounds like a doctor <laughs> he knows the name of every single muscle and what's around it and what it connects to and he'll point to it on your body and show you and you know tell you that the cow will you know not use this particular muscle that much because it doesn't ever push back that way i can't even do it what he does <laughs> yeah. he's just amazing um and and it's delicious yeah and it's mm-hmm. so good and um i really think that the um the cheeseburger at ladybird diner is mm-hmm. perhaps the best diner burger mm-hmm. in uh in the state mm-hmm. in the country maybe the best i've ever had yeah. i mean crispy homemade pickles homemade bun um also unassuming the amount of work that goes into it but when you read it you can tell do you have any events coming up so this saturday i'm which is going to be april 20th um i'm going to be at an 18th street block party in kansas city uh with a bunch of other uh shopping vendors and a couple other food vendors and i'm going to be set up there uh doing really really simple state fair status waffles um i'm going to be doing whipped cream and a sauce and i'm going to be charging accordingly and uh, i found that that sort of thing works really well for events then april 27th or 28th um I'm going to be doing a collaboration with Harp Barbecue. Oh, um, that's on to, our list. Yeah, I've been wanting to check them out. I... Yeah, so April 28th is the date for that one. And Ooh, okay. uh, we're going to be doing a brisket and waffle brunch. And mm. that's going to be really exciting. Because uh, Tyler, just from the pictures alone, yeah. I have not been able to try his barbecue. But you can't fake yeah. that. No. No. Um, yeah, there's definitely Instagram I found, and I'm like, oh my god, yeah, yeah, <laughs> salivate every time. Yeah, um, Tyler is gonna blow up. He just started doing a pop up at Crane Brewing. Mm-hmm. He's there on the weekends, and um, and it's really awesome. Well, thanks again to Sam for talking with us today. You can follow the Waffle Iron on Instagram at the Waffle Iron or on Facebook to find out where he'll be popping up next. Definitely check him out this weekend at the 18th Street Block Party in Kansas City and then next weekend on the 28th at the Heart Barbecue Pop-Up. Hey, yeah. thank you guys. Yeah, this was great. Thank Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Lawrence Fork in Kansas. We had a great time chatting with Sam Donnell of The Waffle Iron. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, basically anywhere you can listen to podcasts. 
Also, please follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at Lawrence Forking Kansas, Instagram at Lawrence Forking Kansas, and Twitter at Lawrence Forking. Feel free to find our pages, like us, follow us, leave us a comment. Let us know if there's someone you would like us to interview or questions you would like us to ask. We are open to feedback. And if you're a restaurant or food business owner in town and are interested in coming on the show, just reach out on social media or email us at lawrenceforkingkansas at gmail.com and let us know. We're always looking for new people to talk to and would love to have you on. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time.